Hello, it's Malia Warner. Welcome to Readings from My Book, Lies of the Magpie, the story of my journey healing through postpartum depression and chronic illness. Today's reading does not come from the next chapter in the book. This is kind of a bonus reading, and this event takes place actually about eight months after The Road to Tucson. And I'm not really sure why I'm recording this section today. I've tried several times to record the chapter that should come next and it just isn't happening. And this section keeps coming to mind and keep coming to mind. I don't know if it is because it's about my Kate and my Kate just celebrated her 20th birthday. So she is on my mind or if it's something that I need to hear or if it's something that someone out there needs to hear. I'm not sure, but this chapter just keeps coming to me. I'm not 100% sure this event will make it to the final cut of the book, and it's kind of a gem, so for whatever reason, I'm going to read it for you today. In my existing manuscript, it's about chapter 25, but those chapters are getting all rearranged and divided and combined, so it's not going to stay that. And just so you can be grounded with what's taking place, it happens about eight months later from the road to Tucson. And our oldest son, Danny, has just had emergency surgery, which we normally would have taken him to the emergency room at the closest hospital, the Del Webb Hospital. But we just had the feeling and all kinds of events had culminated that led us to driving him an hour to the Phoenix Children's Hospital. And it ended up to be a really good experience. And we had our second child, Kate, scheduled to have a tonsillectomy at the Del Webb Hospital. And for insurance reasons and something with the doctor's schedule, her surgery was canceled. And then this happened with getting Danny down to the Phoenix Children's Hospital, and it got us thinking, and we really felt like we needed to have Kate's surgery done down at Phoenix Children's and so it got us looking for a different ear, nose, and throat specialist and anyway a chain of events and it leads us to this chapter which currently is Lies of the Magpie chapter 25. On Monday morning I sit in the office proofreading the November issue. Aaron is quickly designing one last minute ad for a business owner who called this morning hoping to make the print deadline. Being at the hospital with a Danny on Friday and Saturday put Aaron behind. He has been awake all night doing the layout. I've been thinking that I should find a new ENT for Kate, one who does tonsillectomies at Phoenix Children's, I tell Aaron. Can we talk about this later, Aaron asks. His eyes are bloodshot. Sure, I just have to say one thing before I forget it. Kate's surgery was canceled for a reason. I've heard too many stories lately of botched procedures on kids at Del Webb Hospital. They deal with heart attacks and diabetes in seniors. They aren't equipped for kids. Danny had an amazing experience at Phoenix Children's. They get kids. They specialize in kids. Their surgical tables and equipment are sized for kids. I don't know if Del Webb even has smaller surgical instruments or if they just try to make grown-up scalpels work on five-year-olds. It is a good point. Aaron prints the page with the new changes for me to proof. I'm going to sleep for a few hours. Wake me up when you're done proofing and I'll send it to the printer. A few weeks later, I take Kate to see a new ear, nose, and throat specialist. For years, Erin and I have worried about her hearing. At night, her snoring sounds like a reenactment of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. She has constant dark circles under her eyes and her tonsils are the size of Jupiter's moons. 
She doesn't hear well. And when someone asks grandma how old she is and grandma says, I'm 48, Kate pipes in, no thanks, I already ate. But we've taken her to half a dozen different doctors who all insist she's perfectly fine. Her last ENT agreed to take out her tonsils, but insisted, like all the other doctors before, that nothing was wrong with her hearing. At this office, Kate climbs up into a large leather chair. She sits bravely and answers questions with a smile, ever eager to please. She doesn't fill half the chair, but the exam room is filled with her energy and light. Her entrance into any space conjures images of sunshine rays shooting through a prism, then being ricocheted in the form of vibrant rainbows off multiple surfaces at once. Dr. Arya puts Kate under a high-powered microscope and tisks. Her ears are chock full of fluid. I want to cry with relief. If her ears are full of fluid, I ask Dr. Arya, how come no other doctors could see it? Dr. Arya explains it like this. You can have a drinking glass that is filled to the top with water, but if you look directly through the middle of the glass, you might mistake the glass for being empty. Kate's ears are so full of fluid that a doctor looking through the fluid might mistake her ears as being clear. I can tell that Dr. Arya can help us. We are on the right track. I'd venture to guess that she can't hear very well through all that fluid. I want to order a complete hearing test in the lab. Kate's hearing test is scheduled for this week. When we arrive at the lab, I see no signs of padded earphones from the 1970s or finger rubbing like other doctors have done. Dr. Arya leads us down a hallway to a room that looks like a NASA control center. An attendant helps Kate step into a soundproof booth and instructs her to raise either hand when she hears any sound, a beep, music, or spoken words. Kate stands perfectly still looking at me through the glass, eager to perform well on this test. Outside of the booth, I can also hear what is being played for Kate. At each sound, my arms flinch instinctively. Kate flinches her arms when I do, then stops herself from raising her hand all the way, just as I do. She is looking to me for guidance because she can't hear any of the sounds that are wildly beeping, buzzing, and bouncing all around her. Unable to stop myself from flinching, I finally have to fold my arms tightly across my chest. Like a mirror image, Kate folds her little arms across her chest and waits for my next cue. My eyes fill with water. While she is hearing nothing, I am hearing the echoes of a hundred interactions with Kate. I hear my voice crescendo with anger and impatience. Why do you always choose to ignore me? I grab her little elbow and jerk her around to look into my fiery eyes. Why do I have to repeat everything ten times to you? The face she looks into accuses her of being an obstinate, disobedient girl. I have been yelling at her for years, trying to make her listen. She has spent the same amount of time trying to hear. I scan the room for a box of tissue, then ask the attendant if there is a restroom on the floor. I hold up a one-minute sign signaling to Kate that I will be right back. I see her face, innocent behind the glass wall. She understands my gesture perfectly. She has become an expert at reading gestures and facial expressions behind soundproof glass. As I walk out of the room, my heart twists on itself as I realize that every time I'd gotten to the point of using gestures to communicate with my daughter, I was already way past patient, far beyond angry, and the gestures she saw from me were flailing arms, madly flashing eyes, wide mouth beratings. In her short six years of life, this is the communication she has had from me. Dr. Arya has no question. 
Kate needs ear tubes, and in addition to taking out her tonsils, he's going to remove her grossly enlarged adenoids. When we walk in the house from Kate's appointment, Jack pulls his chubby legs under him, sits up with an enormous self-satisfied grin, and waves for the first time. I want to scoop him in my arms. I want to go through the house gathering all my little people under my wing like a mother hen and apologize for always being so angry, so tense, so stressed, for always harping about messy brooms and sticky door handles. Tears appear in my eyes again. Kate, get started on your homework. I choke on the words. Jack waits for me to applaud his achievement. I leave Jack waiting for affirmation and escape out the front door. Please help me, I pray, standing outside my front door and looking around my yard. When we bought this house, I imagined eating breakfast as a family on the front porch. The patio table is overgrown with ivy and covered in dirt spots. I haven't sat out here since... I can't remember the last time I sat out here. I cannot continue to live my life like this. Laya comes up behind me. Don't stand there looking like an idiot. Anyone who drives by is going to think you're weird. Jack's cries travel through the door behind me. Laya stands in front of me, blocking my view of the neighborhood. Kate's appointment took longer than expected, and you have three days to get your ad revenue up by $1,300. Get going! I leave Laya gawking at me and walk to the mailbox to see what the world tells me is next in importance on my to-do list. In the pile of mail, there is an envelope addressed to me from the Superior Court of Arizona, summoning me for jury duty. Holding the mail under my arm, I head up the street. It has been a long time since I took a walk around the neighborhood. Please help me. I cannot continue living this way, constantly harping at the kids, competing with Aaron, always running behind. I'm spent. I can't stand here any longer on the front lines fighting back these waves of obligation. Something has got to change or I'm not going to make it. Thank you for listening to this bonus segment of Lies of the Magpie. This is Malia Warner. I will meet you back here next Wednesday with another chapter.